Master Tavern Keepers, History of the Old World. Gentlemen, we have finally reached the fight at Dungle Hill. Oh, yeah. Now, was this a real engagement or merely another killing field? So far, the skirmishes we have talked about have been rather one-sided, more akin to slaughtering lambs at the abattoir than tussles between warriors on an even playing field. Ach, I can't deny the truth of your words there, Heinrich. But, uh... But war is always thus. And were it otherwise, the cunning warrior, the erudite war chief, and those blessed with good fortune by the gods would be deliberately conducting war with the equivalent of one arm tied behind their back. Battle is not just a test of brawn and skill. It challenges your brain, your heart, and your luck. Surely you know that, oh noble knight. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Although I had not thought of it in uh, quite those terms, but uh, you are right, Master Tavernkeeper. You are right. Ach, but uh, all that said, Dongle Hill was different. The scales were much less weighted in one direction than, uh, well, compared to what it was like for Loch Lorm and Winwood. Ah, yes. So it was indeed. At least it was portrayed that way upon the stage. I've been looking forward to this. And, in particular, hearing more about the uh, giant Markle Grimmock. Let us not tarry any more. Please, reveal all, Master Alchemist. It'll be my pleasure. Now, after the killings at Loch Lorem, Donald Bain, the magician Murgray, and their allies from the clan McCooligan were joined by the Knights of Harkness. Who? V- what? <laughs> Wait, you have knights in Albion? Like those of Britonia. Ach, well, we did have a single knightly order, although it's now extinct. It was inspired by a knight of the Bretoni, a mysterious man we called Le Peril, but whom I've since learned is more uh, widely known as the Knight of the Perilous Lance here in the Old World. He was a man who never showed his face, nor was ever bested in combat. Apparently, he was shipwrecked in Albion whilst travelling to his homeland, as it was being overrun by orcs and goblins back in the 10th century, about a, a century before the events of the tragedy of Macduff. He travelled the length and breadth of the country, slaying terrible beasts in search of a way home, until one day disappearing. The rumours go that he uh, found one of the rare ancient gates between realms, those that are hidden in the wild places of Albion. Ah, yes. Those you talked about earlier. Those made by the slan long ago at the bidding of their masters. The old ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now all this seems to ring a bell. I believe I know of this knight. Isn't it said that he still roams Britonia even today? Attending every tournament there. And uh, he has never been unhorsed, I hear. It could not be the same man who came to Albion, of course. 
he would be over 500 years old now. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's impossible. <laughs> Perhaps it is merely one of a uh, line of successors, ones who have uh, donned the same helm and borne the same arms throughout the years. Ach, now that's something I'd like to know the truth of. For an Albion, it was his example that inspired a noble laird, Earl Harkness, to establish his own knightly order. After his death, his son adopted his father's name as his title, and he became the Earl, Clan Laird and Master of the Knights of Harkness. It was to the current Earl, Dart, that the ally of Donald Bain and Julia McEwen, the, uh, the knight-errant John Quickshire, went to in order to uh, request his aid in battling Macduff. Oh, yeah, and uh, what was so special about this Dart, this Earl of Harkness? Ach, now, Dart was the uh, famed bearer of the magical flaming blade, as well as the old friend and mentor to John Quickshire. He was also not of woman born. What? What? What do you mean? What Cedric means is that Dart was not born as other men are. Instead, he was cut from his mother's womb and thus was immune to the power of the magical spell laid upon Macbeth by the witches. The one protecting the king from harm. But the Earl of Harkness and his knights were not the only allies at Dungal Hill that the Alliance were to recruit who could hurt Macbeth. For it is also here that Donald Bain encountered the dwarf, Archer, Zargal and his miners. And dwarves too were uh, unaffected by the hag's spell. Oh, now... Master Alchemist, this is the first mention you have made of the dwarves of Albion. Are they not so common there? Aye, you're right. I did mention them offhandedly earlier, but uh, they are indeed exceedingly rare. As far as I know, the few uh, small dwarf communities in Albion are all descended from the survivors of a single shipwreck long ago. But uh, dwarves are dwarves, wherever they may be. And just as here in the old world, the dwarves of Albion concern themselves with the bounty of rock and stone. At Dungal Hill, it was a mine, a small but very profitable silver mine that uh, preoccupied them. The settlement of Dungal was not just the dwarfs, though. Men too lived there, and from all I've heard, it was, very, uh, it was a very happy little community. The dwarves took care of the mining, and the men, the trading and the transporting, both by wheel on the, uh, the forest road there, and by water, on the uh, the River Roche. It's all going well until the throne of Macdeath up there in nearby Castle Runcenane cast its long shadow over the whole settlement. You see, for many, the reign of Macdeath began with promise, for the crown was not lacking in wealth, but uh, Macdeath's dreams of dominance required more than what lay in the treasury, and so, in order to... Uh, swell their armies for the conquest of the rest of Albion, alternative sources of revenue beyond that earned by the uh, numerous toll booths and whatnot that dotted the land became necessary for Macdeath and his lackeys. The seizure of both the mine and its assets quickly became a priority. Macdeath entrusted this task to one of his lieutenants, a man called Ian McCrecker, a wizard of some skill who had apparently learned the dark arts from the same shadowy master as Lady Macdeath. Oh, yeah, and uh, who was that then? Ach, actually, we don't know. 
All we know is that they learned their arts from someone connected to the mysterious citadel of lead up there in the north. But, uh, well, this is something we shall uh, talk about more later, I think, after we finish with Macduff and all that. Anyhow, MacGregor became the governor of Dungal and was ordered to squeeze every last drop of silver from the mine. But in this, he was thwarted at every turn. MacGregor arrived in Dungal with around five dozen orcs, over two dozen goblins, and the giant, Markle Grimmock, all at his command. Obviously, the subjugation was swift, apart from the uh, apart from the mine, that is. The dwarves were underground in the mine when MacGregor arrived. He sent some of his orcs down to uh, drag them out by their beards, but none returned. MacGregor was a cautious man, and so, rather than sending any more of his minions to their deaths, he decided the best policy was to uh, starve the dwarves out. He posted a large contingent of greenskins to guard the entrance and waited, and waited, and waited. But the dwarves failed to uh, resurface. The new governor assumed the dwarves must be dead, and so sent more orcs down into the mine. Once again, none returned, and again he waited. Finally, he sent some of his uh, goblins down into the, uh, the dark depths of the mine. Now, they sneaked in, creeping over the piles of orc bones that were strewn about, each uh, mysteriously having been picked clean of flesh. And it was them that found the dwarves, very much alive. By Ulrich's beard, the dwarves, the dwarves had been eating the dead orcs. Oh, no, I don't know about that. But what I do know is that the, uh, the goblins, they hid and they watched and they saw that the half-starved dwarves were getting by on rats, worms, and beetles. What? By Ulvik's beard. They had been feeding the orcs to the rats in the mine, and then eating the rats. Oh, no, I honestly don't know about that. But uh, anyhow, eventually the goblins were spotted. Uh, only about half of them made it out there alive, to be honest. But it was enough to tell Ian McGregor that he had no chance of shifting the dwarves by force. So, he boarded up the mine entrance, posted orc guards outside, and waited for the dwarves to give up and begged to be let out. By the time that Donalbane and the McCooligans arrived from the southwest and the knights from Harkness down south came, MacGregor had been waiting for over a year without any success. But, uh, before I continue, do you have any questions, gentlemen? Ah, uh, none for me, I think. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, me neither. Apart from uh, fought for the uh, dwarves in the mine eating sprouts that long year. But, uh. Oh, Knau Heinrich, I'm pretty sure it was rats, worms, and beetles. Nothing worse. They were dwarves after all. Anyhow, if there are no other questions, then, uh. Well, rather than forcing you to once more suffer any more of my, uh, clumsy retellings, I will, uh, instead recite the old poem, MacRecker's Folly penned by the squire of John Quickshire, Sandra Pangle, which recounts the events of that day. But uh, before that, I think I'll relieve the strain on my bladder. I'm feeling a little bit uh, full, if you know what I mean. Ah, yes, by all means. And then we can all sit back and delve into the events of Dungle Hill without any uh, bodily distractions. But uh, whilst you uh, attend to that, I'll get us some more cheese and wine, methinks. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, please. Well, in that case, just a moment, please.